of your spouse's betrayal and disclosure? Are you forging toward a healthy future? Or are you desperate to preserve a phantom past? Hi, I'm Kim Pullen, founder of Hope for Spouses, and welcome to this episode of Lunchtime Live. For those of you who are new to our ministry, I started Hope for Spouses after my four-year separation due to my husband's adultery. While we were separated, I wrestled to get out of God's way so he could work on my husband and I could focus on my own healing using the scriptures and the safe circle of others. We were reconciled in 2015, and since then, we've developed a spiritual and emotional intimacy beyond anything I could have imagined, and we believe it's because God is at the center of our lives individually and as a couple. Now, I'm sure you're probably familiar with the difference between playing offense and defense on a sports team. I played eight years of soccer right up through high school. Usually I played defense, like fullback or goalie. It was my job to protect our side of the field from the opposing team to keep our team from defeat. But I had teammates who loved playing offense. They loved moving the ball up the field to score a goal. Looking back on it now, I think skill and personality probably played an equal role in determining what position we played on the soccer field. As a defender type personality, it is my goal to protect my turf or what I think is important. I didn't need to go on the offense. I simply wanted to preserve the safety of my space. Going on offense can make me feel uncomfortable and even a little fearful wondering, Who's taking care of my safe space? An offensive type personality tends to have more of an adventurous or ambitious spirit. They are intrigued with moving forward or scoring a victory. They trust that someone on their team has their back. They tend not to view mistakes as failures, but as stepping stones to the next milestone. When it comes to recovery, which type of personality are you? Do you tend to operate from a defensive position, desperately trying to preserve your side of the field, or in other words, your marriage, from disaster, while your teammate, your spouse, is in the stands chatting it up with the spectators? Or do you trust your coach and fellow teammate, your God, who is telling you he has your back and wants you to move forward on the field into a more offensive position, that he intends to use to bring about a victory. So what does living on the defensive look like in recovery? When we operate from a defensive position after disclosure, most often it is because we are living in the past and trying to protect or preserve a lie or fantasy of what we think our marriage should be. We can even deceive ourselves because we are afraid to admit that our marriage is a mess. So what does living our marriage on the defensive look like? Often it is us living with an unrepentant adulterer who continues in their adulterous affairs or denies continuing in those relationships, but is secretive and doesn't have the characteristics of godly sorrow that the Apostle Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 7, 10 through 11. If they admit to their infidelity, they blame us. If they deny their infidelity, 
They make us out to be the crazy, angry, or paranoid spouse. Living on the defensive could also be living with an unrepentant sexual addict who continues to watch and masturbate to porn, even though we have expressed that it hurts us, it's wrong, or it feels like they're being unfaithful. Again, if they admit to their porn use, they often blame us because we aren't sexually adventurous enough, or they blow us off saying that, well, all men watch porn. If they deny they are watching and masturbating to porn, they call us a control freak. If we are living in either of these circumstances and we stay in that unsafe, abusive environment, desperately trying to turn back the clock to a time when things seemed fine, trying to replicate or relive a time that is lost and never coming back, we may be living on the defensive. Want proof? How's your physical and mental health? Have you developed any autoimmune issues or conditions you didn't have earlier in life? How's your mental health? Are you anxious or depressed and you can't pin down a reason for why? How's your sleep? Do you lay in bed at night unable to stop your racing thoughts? How's your weight? Have you lost or gained excess weight? How's your work life? Has your quality of work suffered because you can't keep your mind on your job? If you have children, how's your relationship with them? Do you find yourself being short with them or secretly resenting them? Or do you find yourself covering for their dad's selfishness, absence, anger, or lack of love? How does your spouse treat you? Is it with respect and love like Jesus does the church? See Ephesians 5, 25 to 30. Or is it with disrespect and contempt? Are they expecting you to meet needs for them that they refuse to meet for you? We need to ask ourselves these questions. Are we clinging to a spouse who sees us as an object and not as a human being made in the image of God? How long have we stayed with an unrepentant spouse or did we prematurely return to the relationship because our unfaithful or addicted partner said they were sorry and we desperately wanted to believe them? How long before the whole madness started up all over again and we asked ourselves, why did I come back? If this is you, you are probably living on the defensive and possibly protecting a fantasy. What you have is not a marriage as God intended where the partners work as a team to glorify God and each partner respects and supports the other's strengths and weaknesses. You can see Proverbs 31, 11, 28 to 29, Acts 18, 24 to 26, the Song of Songs, Ephesians 5, 22 to 30. It is an unhealthy, abusive relationship, contrary to the very heart of God. God never designed marriage for a husband and wife to live as combatants. He designed us to be equal partners in fulfilling his purpose, 
to reconcile all people to a relationship with him. So why do we stay on the defensive? First, fear. We're terrified of a future that we can't see or control. Number two, maybe we have a weak faith in God's ability to work on our spouse without us helping him to do it. Number three, ignorance. We don't know there is any other way because we've never successfully navigated something like this before. And number four, denial. Refuse to accept when a relationship is sick or dead. Do you know what we often work to preserve? Dead things. Something that is thriving doesn't need to be preserved because it is constantly growing. If you are trying to protect your idea of what your marriage was supposed to be, there's a part of you that knows it's already dead. With their sin and deceit, your spouse lit it on fire and burned it to the ground. It doesn't mean it can't be healed and restored, but we are living in a fantasy if we are trying to save it. About two years into my four-year separation, I came to the realization that my marriage was dead. I mourned and I grieved it. But it also offered me hope. Jesus said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. That's in John 12, verse 24. Jesus had to die to himself in order for God to work through him. If I'm going to call myself a Christian and one of his disciples, then I have to be willing to die to myself as well. I was also inspired by a passage in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19, about God's plan to rescue his people from their captors in Babylon. I encourage you to read the original passage, but here has, is how I reimagined it for myself. Forget your old marriage. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I'm going to do something brand new with the two of you. I've already started. Can't you see? I will forge a path through the wilderness and create rivers in your relationship that right now is a desert. I thought if God could bring life from death with an entire people, surely he could do this in a marriage if both people were willing. I was willing. So I prayed for my husband to suffer the consequences of his sin like the prodigal son in Luke 15, the Israelites who were carted off to slavery by the Assyrians in 2 Kings 17, and then Judah, who was captured by the Babylonians in 2 Kings 24 and 25, and that my husband would be willing to face the truth about himself and what his sin had done to his relationship with God, his relationship with me and our kids, and his relationship with his spiritual family. It took another two years for my husband and I to get to the point of reconciliation. However, I am under no delusions that what happened with my marriage is not always possible for every other marriage. 
the statistics reveal that my reconciliation is not common as only five to 10% of addicts who pursue therapy beat their addiction and can be restored to their relationships. I'll include a link below to that research so you can read it for yourself. I am so grateful that my husband did repent, but I didn't have any control over that. That was up to him. It was his choice. He had to want it. The only person I had any control over was myself. I had to stop living on the defensive and address my own brokenness and need for healing in my relationship with God and safe others. So how do we start living on the offensive or on the offense, so to speak? First, we have to realize and accept that our spouse is not our problem. We are. Yes, they have wronged us terribly and we'll have to do a lot to win back our trust if the relationship is ever to be restored. But just like their addiction is not a marriage problem or issue, our healing isn't a marriage issue either. It's an intimacy issue, especially our intimacy with God. If we have been living on the defensive, we have either lost our identity in Christ or we may have had a cheap imitation. We may identify as Christian, but if we don't know any more about Jesus than what we learned in our Bible class or church, our relationship with him and God isn't a relationship. It's hearsay via a third party. A real relationship requires one-on-one -on -one emotional and spiritual intimacy. In Matthew 13, 44, Jesus told a parable about a man who found a priceless treasure. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. If you do a deeper dive of this passage, you'll see that the man in this parable that Jesus was actually referring to is God and we are his treasure. And we can read from Genesis to Revelation how God himself has been on a patient, elaborate and long-term offensive to reconcile us to himself through Jesus's death on the cross so that we can have an intimate relationship with him and safe others both now and in his new kingdom. Jesus, the very image of God, gave up everything, heaven, to come down so we can be reconciled to our Father. If God went on such an offensive pursuit to intimacy with us, what should be our response to him? How else do we start living on the offensive? We do it in community. Just like your spouse can't heal and thrive in isolation, neither can you. God designed us for relationship. In Genesis 1.26, it says that he even created the earth in community with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. 
Throughout the history of the Israelite nation, God strategized to help them remain in community with himself and each other. Then in the New Testament, he established the church as a pinnacle to display what he designed his community or body to be. The Apostle Paul says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 21 to 26. If we are living on the defensive, we are probably doing it in isolation. Only with a healthy, biblically-centered community will we learn how to get on the offensive, find healing, and learn how to transform our pain into purpose. A great place to find a safe community of other ladies on their healing journey is the Hope for Spouses Network. You can find it at hopeforspouses.network. The final element we need to get on the offensive is a strategy. With today's access to unlimited information on the internet, we can feel like we are drinking from a fire hydrant if we don't have a strategy for healing. We may have a toolbox full of recovery tools like books, online resources, podcasts, videos, counselors, social media, and support groups. And these are all necessary and beneficial in the right place. But if you don't know how to utilize them, it's kind of like having all the ingredients for an elaborate dinner with no recipe. Or worse, it's like throwing things at a wall while blindfolded, hoping something will stick or work. There's nothing worse than stumbling around in the dark. If you are living on the defensive, more than likely you don't have a strategy for healing. Remember the old adage? If you fail to plan, you are planning to fail. So dear friend, where are you? Are you living fearfully on the defensive, trying to preserve a fantasy that you can fix yourself, fix it on your own? Are you letting fear keep you from seeing the true condition of your relationship and that the marriage isn't really the problem? Are you ready to change your tactics and get on the offensive in your pursuit of healing through an intimate relationship with God, a safe community, and a biblical strategy? If that's you, I want to encourage you to stop clinging to the past and take a courageous step toward a healthy future. Join the Hope for Spouses Network at hopeforspouses.network and connect with the other ladies on the same journey. If you've reached your pain threshold, and you're ready to get off the insanity loop of doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results, and you're ready to invest in your own healing, then schedule a call with me at hopeforspouses.com slash call. That's hopeforspouses.com slash call. We'll get on the phone for about 45 minutes, 
You'll have a chance to be heard, see how the scriptures apply to your situation, and get clarity, direction, and the resources you need to start healing. Well, that concludes this episode of the Hope for Spouses, a lunchtime live. I'm Kim Pullen. I'll see you next time. Take care.